Father, um, we thank you that Josie is a temple of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that she is uh, filled with you, that she has been anointed by you to bring your word alive. And we just ask that that is what would happen now, that your word would come alive to us. It would change our hearts and our minds as we go into this coming week and yeah, the rest of our lives, Lord. So do something in our hearts, we pray. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. So at the moment, we're in a series called Looking at the Seven Words that Jesus Spoke from the Cross. Um, so just to give you a little bit of context, um, in the book of Mark, it says that Jesus was actually nailed to the cross at nine o'clock in the morning. And up until about three o'clock, he said, so he's on the cross for six hours. Um, and at the moment, he said four things, just to give you a bit of a summary. He said, the word of forgiveness, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's also said a word of assurance that Alicia covered. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's what he said to the thief that was next to him on the cross. And then a word of love to his mother on Mother's Day, just to remember that. He he looked down from the cross in complete agony And yet his thoughts were still towards other people. He wanted to make sure his mum was taken care of after he died. So he said, behold, your son. He's talking about John the Apostle who, and behold your mother. So he reunited those two people, people that he loved dearly. And then he spoke a word of anguish, which Matt spoke about last week. When he cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? But now it's three o'clock in the afternoon. He's in the final minutes of his life. And he says something. Seemingly ordinary. Seemingly out of context. Seemingly unimportant. He simply says, I'm thirsty. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. So why does Jesus say, I'm thirsty? Why does he just make this simple statement? It really, really wasn't to highlight his own physical needs. You know, Jesus had been basically tortured for 24 hours. He'd had the biggest punishment the Romans would give without actually killing somebody. So he'd received 39 lashes from a whip with bits of bone in it that basically scourged your back. And it's counted that 40 would actually kill you. So he'd had 39. He didn't complain. He didn't say anything when they jammed a crown of thorns, and those thorns were like that thick onto his head, not a word. He didn't complain, he didn't say anything about his physical, what he was going through at all, when they drove nine-inch nails through his wrists and his feet when they put him on the cross. Let's just say that being thirsty potentially wasn't his number one discomfort right at this moment. So why does he say that? 
Why does he say that when he's only got a few minutes to live? And why does he say that when he, he earlier had refused to drink from the cross? Six hours earlier when he was first put on the cross, the, the Roman soldiers offered him a drink. In Mark 15, it says, They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Why did he refuse that? If he was, he was obviously very, very thirsty, probably hadn't drunk for the whole 24-hour period since his capture. But he refused that because <clears throat> it had myrrh in it. It, had, it basically was a, a drug, a narcotic. It was mixed with myrrh. And do you remember like the story when Jesus was born, that one of the wise men gave him myrrh to symbolize the sort of death he would die? Imagine, imagine being Mary. It's like, so essentially, that's like um, an ancient morphine. You know, this is the drug they gave to people that were dying and there was nothing they could do just to ease pain. Imagine being, you know, the mother of a, a tiny, tiny baby and somebody turning up with a gift of morphine saying, oh, this is how your son is going to die. You'd be like, and that's, that's basically what it was. So he refused it because he didn't want to be, you know, he'd done 33 years. He'd completed his mission. He was on the cross and he was not going to do the last bit drugged. He was not going to do the last bit. He was going to ex- wanted, he knew he had to experience the full the full experience of being on the cross and dying for us. But why did the Roman soldiers give it to him? And they certainly weren't overcome with compassion for him when they'd literally been whipping him. Basically, they gave it to him because they wanted, they didn't want to hear him screaming. So, you know, crucifixion went on for days sometimes with men in full agony screaming and they had to sit there and listen to it so they thought right we'll give him this and that will you know keep him quiet but he refused it because of a higher purpose so why did he say I'm thirsty with only a few seconds left to live and this is what we're going to look at today so the first reason that he said that was to basically reiterate the humani- that he was human, that he was fully man. He was fully flesh and blood so that he could totally empathize with us. That he knew our needs. He knew what it was to physically thirst. It's our number one physical need, isn't it? We can go without food for quite a long time, but we can only go without water for two or three days before we die. Everybody has experienced thirst. So he said it to re- re-emphasize his humanity at the time, in ancient Greece, there was two kind of theologies going around called Doicism and Gnosticism that basically believed, because they couldn't get their heads around how somebody could be fully man, which Jesus was, and also fully God and fully holy and fully spirit. It is a divine mystery. They couldn't get their heads around, so they explained it away by saying, oh, well, he wasn't really a human. He wasn't really a man. He was essentially a spirit that kind of came and sort of pretended to be on the cross and experience that, but he wasn't really experiencing that. And we kind of see John trying to overcome this wrong belief in 2 John 7, where he says, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body, but such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. So him saying that re-emphasized that, yes, I am a real man, really experiencing the same things that you experience on a day-to-day level. He really did experience that in the flesh for us. But the second biggest reason, really, was to fulfill scripture. 
He said, didn't he? Later, knowing that all was completed so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. So the Old Testament, which was written, you know, from 2000 to up to 2000 years before Jesus was born, is contains hundreds of prophecies. That's like predictions about how the Messiah would come. So there's this promised one, this promised man that would come and that would rescue us from our sins, that would reconcile us to God, that we would be able to live in a completely new way, that he would write his laws on our hearts instead of on stones of tablets. This is what everybody was waiting for, the Messiah. And it was prophesied about for hundreds of years, 300, over 300 in the Old Testament. It's amazing where he would be born. It says where he'd be born in Bethlehem, which is pretty hard to fake. You can't really fake where you could be born. It prophesied that he'd be taken away into captivity, into Egypt. There's just hundreds of these verses in, that um, talk about how Jesus was the Messiah and how he fulfilled them. So even in the last minutes of his life, his higher purpose, he's thinking not about his own agony and his own pain, but he's thinking to fulfill scripture, I am thirsty. King David, as we heard last week, described Jesus' death in pretty gruesome detail, actually, thousand years before Jesus was born. How amazing is that? Right down to every single detail. And he even talked in there about being thirsty. He said, I'm poured out like water. So all the liquid's gone out of it. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. That's essentially a bit of pottery. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. He also fulfilled Psalm 69. Because when somebody is crucified... Actually, usually people die through suffocation because you, because when they're on the cross, they're trying to push themselves up with their legs so they can breathe, but then their legs fail or Roman executors break them. And then the whole lungs collapse and it's impossible to breathe. So usually you die through suffocation, but also, I'm just going to read this, uh, which is a quote that I got off the internet, which is on the Guardian. But it says, suffocation would usually follow... But death could also arrive in other ways. The resultant lack of oxygen into the blood would cause damage to tissues and blood vessels, allowing fluid to diffuse out of the blood into the tissues, including the lungs and the sac around the heart. If we look at Psalm 69, this is where David is prophesying about this. It said, save me, God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. Jesus' legs are too weak to push him up, self up. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. David here is talking about drowning, isn't he? He's describing drowning, and that's exactly what happened. Liquid in the lungs, filling up the lungs, drowning in his own bloody, body fluids. The psalm is describing drowning, and actually that is, they wouldn't have known that is what actually physically happens on the cross. And then this is... Verse 3. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. 
the next verse in John, it says, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Which is really, really random, isn't it? So this is a thousand years. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Why would you give somebody that's thirsty vinegar? And why was a jar of vinegar on an execution site? It's like olive oil and salt and pepper. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, surely that prediction is completely out there. Like, how can that be fulfilled? And yet it was. In Roman times, Posca was basically the drink of poor people. So wine that had gone off, it turned sour and basically turned into vinegar. You know, like the alcohol um, disperses and it turns into a wine vinegar. So in Roman times, in that time, they used to mix this vinegar with water. And it basically was actually, they didn't know it at the time, but it was actually really good for them because it killed off the bacteria and it was good for the stomach. So that was just what everyone drank. So it's really likely... Basically, the Roman soldier there, they also used to have sponges in their kits. They used to line their helmets with them and use them for drinking vessels and stuff. So basically, he probably got a bit of sponge out of his kit, dipped it in the drink that he was having there and lifted it up to Jesus. Maybe after six hours of seeing Jesus die on the cross, he thought, hold on, this isn't just a normal man. When darkness had fell across the whole land at midday for three hours... Because of God's grief, he thought maybe this is not just a man. Hyssop. John makes a point of saying it was a hyssop branch that he lifted it up to. It was a small bush with blue flowers. And why is that significant? The Roman soldiers at the bottom of the cross wouldn't have known that was significant when they did that. But every single Jew standing around the base of the cross would have known what was going on. It was deeply symbolic moment there because basically 1,500 years earlier when Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt, they were instructed to put the blood of a lamb on their doors so that death and destruction would pass over them. And they used a hyssop branch to put that blood on the door. Jesus, it was being reenacted, a hyssop branch, the blood of a lamb, so that anyone that believes in Jesus, death and destruction will pass over them. Every Jew would have known that the same symbolism that saved their fathers, their forefathers, hundreds and centuries of years ago was being happening here again today. Jesus said, I thirst to show that he was fully man, that he fully knows and feels what you are going through, your physical needs, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs. But he also said, I thirst to show that he was fully God, that he was who he said he was. He was the son of God. Come from heaven, planned before the beginning of time, to come and rescue you, to bring you back into communion, to bring you back into a loving relationship with your God. It showed that he fulfilled another of the hundreds of prophecies about his life, things that he didn't have control over. 
But the most amazing thing it shows is just how much Jesus loves you. The fact he went through all of that for you. Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, There's a story that illustrates this really well. There was, in 1987, there was a flight 255 that left um, Michigan. And basically, just after it it took off, but just after takeoff, something wasn't quite right in in the gear, and basically the, the plane tipped and tucked and it ended up crashing straight away and there were like no survivors. So apart from this one four-year-old little girl. And the reason why she survived was that her mum took off her seatbelt in those final moments and basically covered her. And that's an amazing illustration of what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus covers you with his love. He protects you and covers you so that you might live in a relationship with him for all eternity. That's what he's done for you. And there's, is there a picture of there? That's a little girl. I had a bit of a thick moment. I'll share my thick moment with you, right? (laughs) So at Food Bank on Friday, I shared this thing where um, I was like, okay, God, if you want me to share that, if you want me to share this story, because I wasn't quite sure about what to share and how long, you know how light it is when you're preaching, there's lots of things you can share. But I just wanted to know, shall I share this? And I thought, but I didn't really know much about it. I didn't know any facts or anything like that. So I literally just Googled, four-year-old girl survives plane crash. And then this article came up straight away. And then, and because she'd not talked about it for like 30 years or whatever, I was sharing at Food Bank. And it's amazing because it was literally that day in the newspaper which is amazing, would have been amazing if I hadn't have been sick. <laughs> and then when I got home, I was like, oh no, that's today's, just today's date. <laughs> I looked further down there, I was like, oh no, okay, <laughs> August. <laughs> but it worked anyway, it got me to share it. Thank you, God. Share thick moments, it's all good, isn't it? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know it's good. Um, So Jesus did that for us. But he then passes the baton on to us, doesn't he? Can you imagine being that Roman soldier that when the son of God, the person that created and spoke into being water, who separated the water into the sky and into the earth, the one that spoke streams and um, rivers oceans into being asks for a cup of water what a privilege to be able to do that and yet we have that privilege every single day don't we Matthew 25 famous verse says the righteous will answer him Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink the king will reply truly I tell you whatever you did for one of these least brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. When I serve Jesus, when I serve others, I serve Jesus. When you help someone in pain, Jesus says, you did that for me. When you take time to listen to someone, Jesus says, you listened to me. It doesn't have to be big things. It can be small things. Just a drink is what Jesus asked for. 
Matthew 10, if, even if you give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. When you say, would you like a drink? You did it for me. Can I do an errand for you? You did it for me. Can I bring you a meal? Jesus says, you do it for me. Can I give you a lift to church? You do it for me. Can I help you out? Can I go out of my way to help someone else? Jesus says, you do it for me. Jesus notices the smallest of things. But fundamentally, we're kind of lazy, aren't we? And busy. And those things come in, don't they? Because actually, this is quite, as literally I was writing this down, and we got a text, so did a crazy party for Jed's 12-year-old birthday. We had like 40 12-year-olds in our house all dancing. It was awesome. I actually really enjoyed it. But I wasn't allowed to dance because, you know, I'm cool mum, so I'm just like this, washing up. And they're like... <laughs> And on the trampoline, full high ah, excitement. But it was really good fun. But anyway, um, yeah, so somebody just texted us saying, oh, can you give Conrad a lift home? And it's like, oh, seriously? We're just doing a party for 40 people. <laughs> you know, the last thing we want to do is to, like, drive them home. Do you know what I mean? And it was literally funny because I was literally writing this down. And I just noticed my first reaction. You know, when you just notice your first reaction is like, oh, seriously? <laughs> Instead of like... Of course, it would be my pleasure to do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just funny, isn't it? Like, but actually, would, if Jesus was asking you, it would be very different. Your reaction would be very different, wouldn't it? So it's, it's, we just got to get that in our heads. You know, and it gets a bit more challenging, doesn't it? Because Jesus calls us to love our enemies. But what about, it's easier to do stuff for people you like, isn't it? But let alone people that you know, you find difficult, that you don't really like, that you find kind of irritating, or you just disagree with them, or you think their political opinions outrageous, or had their views, or whatever. Then, helping people, loving people, doing those small actions, gets, the challenge gets even harder. You know, and I like this lady, she's really nice. <laughs> anyway, um, so how often are we doing it for Jesus, for other people? Does your love and your life make anyone thirsty for Jesus? We're called to be salt in the world, to make people thirsty for God. Everybody, people all around us are spiritually thirsty, but they just don't recognize it as spiritual thirst. They don't know that what they really need is Jesus's life-giving, eternal, living water. They're describing it as things like, I'm frustrated at the moment. I'm bored with my life. I'm just hanging on. I'm ready to throw in the towel. You know, I still, you too famously said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Or I can't get no satisfaction. <clears throat> they, know, they know they want something, but they just don't know what it is. And when Rahama said, that at the same time I was writing down, they don't know that they're thirsting for God and actually thirsting for real love, proper love. People have experienced a rubbish reflection, if that, of God's amazing, everlasting, unfailing love. That's what we're thirsting for, but we just don't necessarily know it. 
It's the same in the physical as well, isn't it? It's actually a physical thing that your brain gets slightly confused about thirst signals, which is a bit weird, isn't it? But, you know, you can kind of feel hungry or you can feel a bit bored or you just want some sugar or you feel a bit tired. So you eat something when actually your body just needs water. And it's the same in the spiritual. That's a physical analogy of what's happening in the spiritual that you think you want a bit more money or you think you need that car or you think you need that relationship or you think you need that job or you think you need some affirmation from somebody, but you don't. What you really need is Jesus's living water. Jesus said, if only you knew, if only you knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you can speak to Jesus anytime. You would ask me and I would give you living water that never fails. Our job is to serve people, to love people, so that our words and our actions would make people thirsty for Jesus. It would help them to distinguish what they really need. They'd look at you and think, that's what I need. I need some of that. They'd look at your life and think, I need some of that love. How come she's got so much love that it's overflowing? I want some of that. I want some of that love. We need to be there to distinguish people and say, you're not hungry. You're not bored. You just need some water. Like to your kids. I want some sweets. Just have a glass of water. (laughs) But actually, that's what people need. To tell them that Jesus was really a man. That he really did come to earth 2,000 years ago. It's the most historically proved fact there is. With over 22,400 New Testament scrolls all correlating each other. With no archaeological find ever disproving anything in the Bible. It's the most proven historical fact. If you don't believe that Jesus was really a man, you might as well not believe the pyramids exist when they're literally just there. It's that obvious, okay? And also to show people that Jesus was truly God, that he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophets, that he was who he said he was. Otherwise, he would have been a lunatic or he would have been a liar, as C.S. Lewis quotes. Not a nice, good man who was kind of cool and did some cool stuff. But most importantly... To show people that he did it and he died. His life and his death was for each one and each person. So that we might never spiritually thirst ever again. That we can come to the living water. We can experience true, fulfilling, deep-rooted love that satisfies us in a way that nothing else will. And we can spend all eternity with him. To say to people... If only you knew the gift, the gift that God has for you. You would say to Jesus, you would say to Jesus, please can I have some living water and I would give you that living water. Amen.